Welcome to the TriStar Church Podcast. We're so glad that you have tuned in today. My name is Matt Grimes, lead pastor of TriStar Church, and I want to encourage you to like and follow us on social media, as well as subscribe to our podcast. You'll find weekly sermons, midweek deep dives, and more right here every single week. I pray that you're challenged and encouraged as you listen, not just to the words that are spoken, but to the Holy Spirit who is speaking to you through this resource. Now let's dive in. It'll be on the screens behind us. The story is going to continue because the end was verse 62. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter referencing Jesus said while he was still alive, after three days, I will rise. Now I want us to stop for a moment and think about this. Where are Jesus' disciples in this moment? Scared to death and hiding. Jesus' disciples are terrified in this moment. Jesus' disciples think that all hope is lost. They're, they're, they're hit out thinking that the world has come to an end, that they're, 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 they're Jesus that they loved and had followed, that it is in, it is ended, it is over. What does Scripture say? Who remembers what Jesus said? His enemies. His enemies remembered that Jesus said that he would return, that he would rise from the dead after three days. Not Jesus' disciples. His enemies remember this, and they're afraid. They're going, hey, we need to make sure that this does not happen. So verse 64, they come up with a plan. They order the tomb to be made uh, secure until the third day so that his disciples would not go and steal him away and tell other people he has risen from the dead. They were terrified that they would steal his body and try to claim that somehow he had risen from the dead because they didn't believe that he would actually do that. And so Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers, go, make it as secure as you can. And so they went and they made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. And now after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he laid. It's funny that it's Jesus' enemies who are terrified of him actually being resurrected, right? They're the ones who are afraid, and so they seal this tomb up. They decide that they're going to take measures to secure the tomb to make sure that this would not happen. First, they take a large, massive stone and they seal the front of the tomb with it. It's in a, an inclined trench that is there. The stone is heavy. You cannot, one person can't move it. You can't open it from the inside. And it's massive. You could have a, a bunch of people and it's going to be hard for multiple people to try to move this. What makes it even more impossible is that they put a guard of soldiers there, armed guards, not just any old armed guards. These were not temple guards. These were Roman guards. This was calling in maximum security in this time. This was the best of the best, the elite of the elite. And so they put a a guard of soldiers. Now, a guard in that time was typically four soldiers, 
You had two that stood guard all time and two who rested so that they could take over uh, for the other two while they rested. And given the situation, given the circumstances, a lot of uh, scholars believe that there would have actually been more than just uh, four guards in this because of the, the, the heightened fear that is going on in this moment. But all of their efforts, every step that they took to ensure that the resurrection would not happen could not stop Jesus from rising. The resurrection power of God was greater than anything that stood in its way. And the good news for you and the good news for me this morning is there is nothing that can stand in front of the power of the, resur- the resurrection power of God in your life and my life either. Just like the stone was no match for God's power, just like the, the guard of Roman soldiers were no match for the power of God, there is no sin, there is no depth of despair in your life that is so great that will stop the power of God from resurrecting you and bringing life to your body or to my body as well. But the stone was not just rolled away to let Jesus out. That's what's important. Jesus didn't need the stone to be rolled away. Actually, if you read later into John 20, we realize that Jesus, after he's resurrected, is no longer bound by the physical limitations. He can pass through walls. We see this later. So he didn't need the stone to be rolled away. The stone was rolled away from one purpose, and that was for others to see into the tomb, to see that Jesus was not there, and to be convinced that he had been resurrected. And what I love is that the invitation to see the place that Jesus had laid was given to the very people who just day before, days before put him in that place. It was given to the women who prepared his body, who laid him in that tomb. Why? So that there is no possibility of mistaking the reality that Jesus had truly risen. Jesus invited the same women that prepared him and put him into the tomb to look into the empty tomb and see that he was not there. They knew that his body was there. They knew that he was dead. They knew that the tomb was secure. And the consequences of Jesus' resurrection will not just impact his followers' lives, but the lives of thousands of people who will continue to walk this earth for years to come. Because Paul tells us in Romans 10, 9, that if we will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you'll believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Belief in the gospel story, belief in the resurrection of Jesus will bring about salvation in our life. That's a word we use a lot in the church. We talk about it a lot. And even this week, and looking back over the sermon that I had prepared, God just brought me back. What, What does it mean to be saved? What is it, when we believe in the, in the resurrection story, when we believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, when we confess that he is the Lord and we believe that God raised him from the dead, what does that do then in our life? What change is caused in our life? And so what I'd like for us to do is just take a few moments and look at what changes happen in our life when we believe in the Easter story, when we confess belief in Jesus and his resurrection. Well, the first thing that happens is that Jesus removes every sin we have committed or will commit. 
1 Corinthians 15, 17 says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If Jesus was not resurrected, you and I have no hope. We're still dead in our sins. Romans 3.23 says that all of us have sinned. Every person who walks this earth has sinned. We've committed wrong. We have went our own way. And because of our sin, we deserve death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Our sin separates us from God and a price has to be paid for our sin. And God says that price is death. What you deserve and what I deserve for doing wrong, for going our own way and not following him, not being obedient to him, what we deserve is death. Ephesians 1, 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Why? Why do we have that? John 1, 2, verse 2, 1 John 2, 2 says this, He is the propitiation for our sins. Big fancy word, which means he took our punishment. And not only ours, but also the sins of the entire world. Jesus said, I will stand in their place. I will take the wrath of God for their sins to be poured out on me. I don't deserve it. Growing up, uh, we were notorious in our household for doing things that we should not do. With four kids, right, that's just bound to happen. We, we, we would get in trouble. Uh, but my older brother and I, uh, because we, we kind of somewhat knew our way around the kitchen, uh, we always got in trouble with our mom when she was working for getting stuff out that was meant for a meal later in the week. And all the moms in here are going, all right, I, I know where you're going, right? Like I've been there, done that. And so we're at home, mom's at work, and we're hungry and we want a snack. Well, you know, there's... Crackers, there's like goldfish, there's like all the normal stuff in the pantry for us to snack on, but we don't want just any snack. My brother opens the refrigerator and sees this stalled out roast that's in the refrigerator, right? Um, and uh, he says, let's have roast for a snack, right? Like, I mean, because teenage boys, we want meat, like, like we're hungry, right? And so we go in and we get this roast going and we kind of figured it out on our own. And then we were like, hey, let, let's have, we, we want something sweet. And so I was like, man, I want some cupcakes. And I was like, do you know how to make cupcakes? No, I don't know how to make cupcakes. But we find a cookbook and it has a recipe for cupcakes. And we start trying to follow the recipe, right? And it comes to baking soda. I don't know what baking soda is, right? And so I go and pull out a thing of Coke from the fridge. And, you know, I mix it in. Like, we're just mixing all kinds of stuff. When we bake these things, they come out like rock hard hockey pucks, right? Um, And they're like in the pan, won't come out. And so I get this like big, like prong fork that you use to jab into meat. And I'm like trying to get it out, poke holes all in my mom's baking stuff, right? The kitchen is disaster zone. She comes home from work. The kitchen's a mess. We've cooked the food that we're supposed to be eating later. She is flaming and furious in this moment. And as she turns around to begin to yell and pour her wrath out on me and my brother, she steps barefoot on that pronged fork that I just dropped on the floor and I watched it go through her foot and come out the top side. I don't know what the wrath of God will be like, but I believe I saw it in my mom's eyes that day, right? I believe in that moment. And here's the thing, as angry as she was, as much as she wanted to just probably beat me within inches of my life, right? It can't come close to the wrath and the anger 
that God has towards our sin. Let's just be honest. He is a holy and perfect God. And his son said, pour it out on me. I'll take their place. I don't deserve it. But pour every ounce of your anger and your wrath towards them on me and I will pay the price. I will bear the weight of their sins. And not only has Jesus paid the price for our sins, the scripture tells us that God remembers it no more. Why? Because he has nothing to be angry about anymore because the death of his son satisfied it. It paid it. And so while you may go on and continue to sin, and I may go on and continue to sin, if I have put my faith and my trust in Jesus, it is dealt with. And when he said it is finished on the cross, it is done. And God doesn't remember it. And he doesn't hold it over our heads. So the first thing being saved means is that we're fully and freely forgiven for our past, our present, and our future, and our sins are remembered no more. And when our Father looks at us, he sees his perfect Son. But salvation also brings a new life. Jesus gives us a new life. 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In exchange for our death, Jesus offers us life, life that is filled with a hope that, no, that even though we may face sickness, even though we may face suffering, even though we may face difficulty in this life, there is hope because of Jesus. Romans 6, 4 says, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in a newness of life, a life that is filled and abundant, Jesus says in John 10, 10. And so when we confess that Jesus is Lord, when we believe in the Easter story, the resurrection story, our sins are forgiven, and in exchange for our death, he gives us life. But that is not all. A third thing that happens is Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit to empower us to live a life that honors him. Jesus doesn't say, hey, go figure out how to live this life that I've given you now. He says, hey, I'm going to give you a helper Romans 8, 11 says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. He gives us a helper, the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God in our life. I love this as we, we talked about our, as we started our Genesis series and it began that the spirit of God hovered the earth, the same spirit that hovered the earth before a thing was created, that same spirit Jesus says, I am giving to you and he dwells in you and you have 24 seven access to me unhindered. That's why Jesus says in John 16, 7, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Up until then, the only time the disciples had access to Jesus is when he was physically present with him. And Jesus says something good's about to happen. 
when I'm crucified and when I'm resurrected and when I ascend back into heaven, you will not have, you will not have uh, access to me. You will have access to me. It will be through the Holy Spirit. I will send my helper. He will live with you and you will be able to fellowship with me and he will lead you to the life that I have for you. He will lead you to what to say. He will lead you to what to do in your life. Salvation, belief in the Easter story also brings about our own resurrection from the dead. Jesus promised, hey, I'm gonna resurrect you just as I was resurrected. 2 Corinthians 4.14 says, knowing that he who raised Jesus, uh, the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us into his presence. 1 Corinthians 6.14, and, and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. When we believe in the Easter story, when we believe in Jesus' resurrection, we are promised that one day when we die, it will not be the end of our story. When we die, there will not be a period to our life. There will be a comma because life will begin in that moment because Jesus promises to resurrect us. The same power that raised him from the dead will raise us as well, and we will exist for all eternity with him in heaven where there is no more sin, where there's no more tragedy, where there's no more pain, where there's no more suffering, where there's no more mental illness, right? Where there's no more disease, where there's no more suffering, just a perfect existence with the God who created us, a return to the beginning in Genesis, the garden where it all began. Perfect existence and fellowship with a God who loves us. And so believing the Easter story is, not, is more than just accepting a fact. It's being confident that God is for you, that he has removed what was once separating you from him, and that he is actively transforming your life, and that he will one day resurrect you for eternal joy. And friends, that's the difference between us and Satan. Can I tell you something? Satan doesn't doubt the resurrection of Jesus. He knows it happened. He's not doubting it. He knows that it happened. But he hasn't put his faith in it. He's not put his trust in it. And what Jesus invites you to this Easter is to believe the Easter story and to put your hope and trust in it. And so if you've got a copy of Scripture, I would uh, love for you to turn over to John 20. Uh, John 20, we're going to talk just for a moment about how we can trust the gospel story. Why do we, how is it that we can ha have faith in it? Why, how, how can we believe and have hope in the resurrection story? I think there are a couple of reasons. One is there are four different eyewitness accounts. We've got Matthew, we've got the Gospel of Mark, we've got the Gospel of Luke, and we've got the Gospel of John. All of them witnessed his death. All of them witnessed him being buried. All of them witnessed him uh, after he was resurrected and they encountered him multiple times. They knew all about him and they witnessed his resurrection. And so we can have faith in the gospel story because of their account, because of their eyewitness account. We can believe in that. When you hear a crazy story, when someone tells you a story and they have no one who witnessed it, immediately you start going, hey, I'm a little bit sus on that, right? I don't know if that really happened, right? But when they can produce eyewitnesses, 
when they, hey, you know what? Jasmine was there. She saw it. She knew what happened that day, right? I'm looking out, man, James was there too. And he can stand up and he can give a testimony, right? When you get multiple witnesses, there's validity to what happened. Another reason we can have faith in the resurrection story is because all the disciples, think about this, all the disciples of Jesus, all 12 of them died claiming that Jesus was resurrected. All of them. All of them went to their grave not denying his, his resurrection. And in fact, 11 of the 12, John was the only one who died a natural death. John was the only one who just died of old age. Everybody else was put to death because they refused to deny the resurrection of Jesus. They refused to say Jesus wasn't legit. They were put to death. Think about this. Peter was crucified upside down on a cross, just like Jesus. Andrew was crucified. Thomas was speared to death. Philip was tortured and impaled on iron hooks into his ankles, and he was hung upside down to die. Matthew was staked and speared to the ground. Bartholomew was skinned alive and then hung on a cross to die. James was beheaded. James the lesser was taken to the tallest point on the temple and he was thrown off to his death. Jude was beaten with a club and then crucified. Simon was crucified. Mark was drugged to his death behind a horse. Luke was hung. And Matthias, the one who replaced Judas, was stoned and beheaded. Thomas was speared to death. Let me ask you a question. Why would 12 men be willing to endure such brutal deaths for something that was a lie? For something that didn't happen? They went to their death believing in what they saw, convinced that it was true and that Jesus was who he said he was. A third reason we can believe in the gospel story and the resurrection of Jesus is that Jesus appeared to more than 500 people after he was resurrected. If you read throughout the New Testament, you're going to find 10 different accounts in Scripture. Now, this doesn't account for other accounts, but just in Scripture, there are 10 different accounts of Jesus appearing in a resurrected form to his disciples and to people that followed him. One of those was to a group of over 500 people people, with more than 500 people seeing Jesus after his resurrection with their own eyes, we should be able to trust their word. And so we gather this Easter, and there are two groups of people here. Those who believe the Easter story that believe that Jesus was resurrected and they have put their hope in him and those who have yet to believe in it and have yet to place their hope in him. And my question is, where are you? It's the greatest question you will ever wrestle with is what will you do in response to the greatest story that exists? Have you placed in him your hope in him? Do you believe in him? And maybe this morning, if you find yourself doubting, maybe if you find yourself wrestling with, hey, can I really trust this? Can I encourage you that you are not alone? Remember the last guy we talked about, Thomas? 
Talked about all the disciples and how all of them faced torturous deaths. Remember Thomas? How did he die? He was speared to death. So get this, a spear, giant long stick with a sharp end, right? Blade on the end is thrust through him multiple times until he dies. That is how he dies because he refuses to deny that Jesus is the son of God and that he was resurrected from the dead. That is why he died, but that is not where he started. He started in doubt. He started in disbelief. John 20, verse 24 through 25 says that, now Thomas, one of the 12 uh, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus first came. The first time Jesus appeared to his disciples as they were gathered in the upper room, huddled in fear, not knowing what to do next, Jesus appears to them. Thomas is not there. We don't know where he is. We don't know why he's not there, but Jesus appears. And so the other disciples immediately go and they tell him, we have seen the Lord, Thomas. Jesus appeared. He truly is resurrected, right? But Thomas said to them, unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails and place my fingers into the marks of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Thomas doubted their story. And I'm going to go a step further. I don't think Thomas doubted their story. I think he flat out refused to believe it. He refused to accept their testimony. These were reliable witnesses and not just one person. Like there are 11 other men coming to him and even more who would have been in that room because it wouldn't have just been the 11 disciples. They're running to him. They're telling him what they've seen. And he says, I don't believe it. He needed evidence. He wanted to see with his own eyes. He wanted to touch with his own hands. He was a skeptic. I think what Thomas saw when Jesus was crucified had cut him so deeply to his core that he could not believe that Jesus truly was resurrected. He had abandoned all hope. But I think Thomas gets a bad rap. His nickname in Scripture is Doubting Thomas. But what I love about Thomas is he was honest. He was honest with the disciples. He was honest that he, he, he struggled in belief. He refused to pretend to believe when he truly did not. But Jesus won't leave him in his unbelief. John 20, verse 26 through 29 tells us that eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus comes and appears to them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Here's Jesus eight days later. He appears to the disciples. Thomas is finally there and he confronts Thomas. In his unbelief, he says, hey, put your fingers in the holes in my hands. Put your hand into my side. And I love this. Thomas, in this moment, he remember what he said? If I don't see him with my own eyes and if I don't touch with my own hands, I'm never going to believe it. And he ate his own words because all it took was seeing him with his own eyes. He didn't have to touch. 
And in a moment, he believed. Faith so strong and so fixed that he would go to his death, being speared to death for his faith and confidence in Jesus. Jesus, full of mercy and full of kindness, gave Thomas the evidence that he demanded to have. I love that about Jesus. He is full of grace. He is full of mercy and he is patient with us. But he invited Thomas, he commanded Thomas to turn away from unbelief and to believe in him. He wanted him to move from doubt into faith. And Jesus says, hey, Thomas, that's great. I'm glad you believed. But there's something far greater. It's when we will believe the Easter story without being able to see Jesus with our own eyes and without being able to touch the wounds with our own hands. Jesus says it is far greater to believe without having seen with your own eyes. Jesus is reminding us that the testimony of these witnesses, what we read in scripture about the resurrection is enough for us to believe in the Easter story. John finishes up chapter 20 by saying, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But all of my gospel, all of the gospel of John, John says, is written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I think Jesus appeared to Thomas to encourage those of us who were a lot like Thomas. That if a man like Thomas, filled with doubt and skepticism, can in a moment be moved to such radical faith that he would give his own life for the sake of the gospel, that for the skeptics of us, that we could find hope in his story. That his witness would build up faith in us. So the question is, this Easter, will you believe? Jesus is alive, and in him, you and I can find the life that we are so desperately longing for. So the band's gonna come back up. And what I'd ask you this morning, with every head bowed and every eye closed, is the most important question of your life. Do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus? And not only do you believe, have you put your hope in Jesus? If not, what's holding you back? For Thomas, it was doubt, skepticism. And he named it. And the Lord met him in that place. And so if you're wrestling with believing in the story of Jesus, 
just encourage you to name it and tell God what it is you're struggling with. He's not afraid to meet you there. And this Easter, what we would love to do is we'd love to give you a chance to believe in the story of Jesus and to receive the life that only He can give us. Some of our staff are gonna come down at this time. We're gonna move into a time of worship. And we'd invite you, if you would like to respond to the gospel story, if you would like to talk with someone about putting your faith and trust in Jesus and what he has done on the cross for you, if you'd like to make that decision and invite him in to forgive you of your sins, to set you free from them, to give you life, to give you the Holy Spirit, the presence of God in your life to lead and to guide you. And if you would love to receive the greatest gift and that is your own resurrection when life is over, we'd love to talk with you and we'd love to help you make that decision. As we sing this next song, we invite you to come down. We'll be here. We'd love to uh, talk with you and help you walk through that decision. Maybe you're here this morning and you just wanna pray with someone wrestling with something in your life. Maybe you've got a need and you want to pray with someone. Uh, We're going to be down here and we'd invite you come. Let's bear each other's burdens. Don't do it by yourself. We're here. Let's be the body together. Would you stand where you are? God, we come to you this morning. We're grateful for the story of Jesus. We're grateful for the hope that it brings in our life. We're thankful for the life that it brings to us. And right now, I just pray for my brothers and sisters in this room who are here, for those who have not yet put their hope in Jesus. I just pray right now, would you bring conviction? Would you draw their hearts to yours? Would you help them to see that they are a sinner and their sinner separates them from you? But through Jesus, they can have forgiveness of their sins. Through his death on the cross, they can be made right with you. They can be forgiven of their sins and they can receive life here on earth and life for eternity. Would you help them to move and respond to the gospel this morning? And we just wanna pour our worship and our praise out in the next few moments. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you live in the greater Knoxville area, we would love for you to join us for a worship gathering. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. For directions and more information, please visit www.tristarnox.org. Lastly, resources like this one are made possible by the financial support and generosity of people just like you. If you would like more information on supporting TriStar Church, please visit our website, or you can text the word GIVE to 865-240-0353 and follow the prompts. Your generosity and support will empower us to continue to partner with believers, equipping them to make disciples by living out the gospel in the places they live, work, and play. Grace and peace.